Good morning, Community Bible. Uh, my name's Dave, and as Sam mentioned, uh, I have the privilege of helping uh, churches throughout Northeast Ohio and all of West Virginia in uh, fulfilling their mission and coming alongside pastors and churches uh, when they're in transition and, and visiting them and being an encouragement. So it was a great uh, privilege when Sam invited me to come share with your church. And uh, because I'm new, I spent the last 25 years pastoring in the state of Florida in the same family of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so uh, as I come here and travel Northeast Ohio, and West Virginia, I am very GPS dependent. And uh, I remember visiting a church near Akron, Chapel Hill, and I went to their website, and um, uh, I went on the internet, it wasn't their website, and it gave like an old address for that church. And so thankfully I wasn't preaching that morning, I was just at a meeting, but I realized like I am so GPS dependent. that it's a little bit scary. So I show up at churches 30 minutes early uh, and uh, try try and find my way. And if you think about navigation, uh, would you agree that 2020 was maybe a little bit of a hard year to navigate? And how about 2021? How's that going so far? So I think we would do well to look to God's Word for some navigational help. And really, it was the northern kingdom who God was continuously warning, hey, you're on the wrong path. And if you continue down this path, there's going to be consequences. And the northern kingdom did not listen. And the Assyrians came to discipline them. The southern kingdom had opportunity to watch this. The southern kingdom had the northern kingdom's example, and Jeremiah was called as a prophet to issue a warning, to be a navigational system for the southern kingdom. And if you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18, I'm just going to read quickly from verse 15. Listen uh, to this uh, GPS from God. Jeremiah 18 verse 15. Here's what he says to this southern kingdom. For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods. They have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths, to walk in bypaths, not on a highway. And you know, when in, uh, in a book of the Bible you see things repeated, it's, it's a way for God to say, pay extra attention to this. Let's back up to chapter 6 of Jeremiah. Chapter 6 of Jeremiah, Babylon's waiting in the wings to bring discipline to these people. And God is giving them the navigational coordinates to find the right path. And they're not listening. Listen to Jeremiah 6, verse 16. It's going to sound a lot like chapter 18. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And here's the promise. And you shall find rest for your souls. Hey, have you encountered anyone with a weary soul? A fatigued soul? Here's the promise. Stand at the intersection and look at your choices. 
You're at the intersection between years. You're at the beginning of 2021. You've got multiple choices of the path you will walk in 2021. And God is saying to the people of the southern kingdom through this prophet Jeremiah with such a hard mission, he's saying to the people, just stop, stand in the intersections, and look at all of the options, and ask for the ancient path. And then he gives a descriptor, where the good way is. And then he gives a, a consequence or a promise. If you walk in that ancient path, the good way, you will find rest for your souls. But here is the epic tragedy of the southern kingdom. The very end of verse 16. But they said, we will not walk in it. Let's pray. Father, I pray for Community Bible Church this morning. And I ask that each one would see the intersections before them. The paths they could walk that could take them to places they don't want to go. I pray that each one here could look back at the direction they've been heading as a predictor of the trajectory of their lives. And Lord, use Your Word this morning to show us the ancient path You would have us walk. That path to intimacy with You and an experience with Your Holy Spirit that equips us for the road. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This navigation from God's Word applied to the nations, but it applies to the body of Christ. And so, fast forward to ancient Greece. From ancient Judah to ancient Greece, Paul has written a second letter to the people at the, at the city of Corinth. This body of Christ that was established in Greece to be a beachhead for the kingdom. And he's giving them some real specific instruction. And I'd like us to dig into that instruction. Turn, if you would, finally to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is connecting this church to an ancient history. The history of Moses. Moses would be 1,500 years before Jesus would come and walk this earth clothed in flesh. And Paul, speaking to these Greeks, is connecting who they are and what's happening in their lives at that moment to this ancient story that God is writing. He's just moving farther up the path of history. And he's using Moses as an example to make his point. And I'm going to be reading starting at verse 12. And it's on the screen behind me, and perhaps you've brought your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, and are not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this very day, 
Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the... What's it say? Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Here's here's what Paul's referencing in history. Moses would lead the people of Israel out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt. And he would lead them through the wilderness. And it would be for 40 years that they would follow him. And Moses would meet with God. The Scriptures tell us like one would meet with a friend face to face. And there was a designated area where Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting. And after Moses would meet with God, he would leave that encounter with a glowing face. The actual glory of this holy, completely other from creation God would would be a residue on Moses' glowing face. And Israel was threatened by that. They were freaked out. I mean, it would be a little odd, right? And so Moses began to wear a veil to conceal this glory of God, this evidence of being in His presence was so shocking that he would have to wear a veil to conceal it. But eventually, the veil would be concealing that the glory was fading away in between meetings. You see, Moses could not generate this glow of his face. It was the consequence of time spent with God. And he says, Paul, to these ancient Greeks, we're not going to be like Moses with the veil. And he's going to spend a lot of time talking about veils. The literal veil that Moses wore over his face to conceal that the evidence of intimacy was fading. And then he talks about a spiritual veil. In fact, over humanity, there is a spiritual concealment. We don't have the ability to figure God out on our own. And the inclination of our heart is towards a direction wayward from God. We're like sheep who stray, and we have an inclination or a propensity towards sin which separates people from God. And this veil is yet another evidence of how completely other God is from us and how completely abandoned we are when we rely on our own capacity to glow for God. This veil conceals, Paul would later say in chapter 4, it conceals the light of the Gospel to the lost who are perishing. And then he gives this beautiful explanation. The veil is only removed in Christ. In fact, I want you to think about another literal veil. The epicenter of God's activity in the ancient world would have been the nation of Israel. And the epicenter of God's activity in Israel was Jerusalem. And the epicenter of God at work in Jerusalem would be manifested most obviously in the temple. And the epicenter of God's presence 
in the temple was the Holy of Holies. And that holy room would be separate from all else by way of a veil. This veil was so significant and this room so holy and the divide so great that only once a year, only one particular class of people could cross through the veil. And that would be the high priest of the Levitical tribe. And his purpose in going in would be to cover the sins of the people by laying a sacrifice on the mercy seat, the epicenter of God's presence within the room. The blood of lambs and goats. But it was such a holy endeavor, and the veil is such a significant barrier that uh, they would tie a rope to the high priest's foot. Because if he entered the holy place in an unworthy manner, he would keel over dead. And if well-meaning people went into the room to retrieve the body, they weren't allowed in there. So even though their intentions were good, they would kill over dead. And so the rope was to drag the carcass out of the holy room. Are you following me? And <laughs> while the Pentateuch doesn't describe it this way, he essentially wore cowbells so they could hear if he's still moving. Yet Paul says, the veil is removed in Christ. Listen, Community Bible Church. When Christ Jesus hung upon the cross and gave his spirit to the Lord in surrender and breathed his last, history tells us the ancient infallible text lets us know that that veil separating a holy God from people was torn from top to bottom. Access to God in Christ Jesus was established. Access to the most holy being was permitted only in Christ. Christ is the one who removes veils. God is described as incomprehensible. We can't comprehend Him apart from Christ revealing Him. John would open his Gospel by claiming that in Him Christ was light and that light was life to mankind. And then the claim, and darkness cannot overtake it or comprehend it, which brings the need for a witness. So when you think about veils, uh, he gives this promise that the veil can be removed. And then look at, look at this key verse in chapter 3, verse 13. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And then he shifts in verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, the next verses, verse 18, is about to give the path to intimacy with God. But you have to see verse 17 sets up the power of verse 18 because you now have access 
at your every moment of the day, you now have access to the most holy, magnificent, incomprehensible being in all of existence. You don't have to, you know, uh, I had a problem on my Verizon bill. And I had to uh, um, call and request an appointment for a callback. And I had to wait a really long time. You following me? Uh, Imagine if I wanted an appointment with a congressman or a senator. Imagine if I wanted an appointment with the president. Listen, you have a standing open invitation from the most significant being in existence, and you are invited into his presence. So I'm going to talk to you about the path to intimacy, but I think very often people couch this in terms of guilt and shame and pressure. And I want to talk to you about how you can have a close connection with God and spend time with Him, but the backdrop is in the Spirit because it's a place of liberty. It's a place of freedom. It's not a place of shame. It's not a place of regret. It's not a place of guilt or manipulation. But I will tell you this. Remember the ancient people Jeremiah spoke to. Here's a path to life. Here's a path of rest for your soul. But they would not walk it. You're at the intersection between years. You're at the dawn of a new year. You've got an entire year after a really hard year wearying your soul behind you. You've got an invitation to enter regularly into the presence of the most significant being in existence. And look at the outcome of that encounter. We're shifting from veils to the subject of mirrors. Paul shifts. He says in verse 18, We all with unveiled face behold the Lord as in a mirror. This word behold is tricky. It's um, in the Greek, katoptron, uh, uh, it's, it's really two words that together form one activity, kind of like breathing. Sam, can I pick on you for a second? Okay. Uh, I'd like you um, to uh, breathe by only inhaling. Can you do that for me? No exhaling allowed. How's that going to go for you? Yeah. Oh, he's in good shape. That's pretty good. Yeah, and there's the exhale. I want you to only exhale and no inhaling. Yeah, pretty tough to do. Hey, is breathing inhaling or is breathing exhaling? Which is it? It's both. That's how this word behold works. Katoptron. It's beholding and it's reflecting. It's both. Some translations would say we all behold the Lord as in a mirror. And some translations will say we all reflect the Lord as in a mirror. But the word captures both concepts. Here's the idea. When you spend time with the Lord, seeking His character and nature, seeking His face, it's like someone who looks in a mirror and then has reflection based on looking in that mirror. But the promise of verse 18, let me read it for you. Verse 18 says this, But we all with unveiled faces, how is the veil removed? Through Christ. We all with unveiled faces, beholding, and it's also the word reflecting, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image 
from glory to glory. When we seek God's face, and by His face, I believe that means His character and nature, His identity. When we seek His face, when we spend time in His presence, reflecting on who He is and what He's like, there is a promise. Verse 18 says, the Spirit does a work. The Spirit changes on the level of your fundamental nature, changes you more and more into the character and nature of the one you're beholding. The word there is transformation. It's a metamorphosis. Jesus turned water into wine. He altered the very fundamental nature of water and miraculously transformed it into wine. Listen to me, Community Bible Church. Very often, we send people out to be a witness and a light, and we're saying they are wine, but we're exporting water. There's no transformation. There's no change. And when we go forth to represent Him without reflecting Him in our character and nature, we misrepresent Him. And here's the invitation to you in 2021. You can leave the path neglected or you can choose to walk that ancient path of seeking His face. I'll end the message with giving you some practical steps on how. But first, the appeal. Spend time seeking His face, knowing that that intimacy will transform your fundamental nature. It'll alter you from being an impatient, angry person to being a patient, loving person. It'll alter you from being fearful and anxious to being, as Sam read from Acts, bold and powerful. Uh, I myself included, observed over the weariness of 2020, good friends who I really trust operating out of their basement behavior, quickly irritated, often aggravated, fearful about the future, or angry about the present. And I recognize these are, these are invitations to expose who we are and the path we're on. They're, they're like warning signs. When you touch the hot stove and you are burned, it's an indicator, hey, don't do that. And when we start operating out of our basement behavior, it should serve as a reminder, I'm not seeking his face because I'm not reflecting him in this context. You can't manufacture it. Could Moses manufacture the glow? No. The glowing face of our day is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's self-control. You can fake those qualities for a time, but the people closest to you know when you're faking it. Or you can allow God by His Spirit to miraculously manifest it as an outcome of you spending time in His presence. There's a book uh, called uh, Restoring Margins, and the author, Dr. Uh, Richard uh, Swanson, talks about gears. Gears on a car as a metaphor for our life. See, uh, 
overdrive is the gear you put it in you know, to pass a car or to accelerate. And overdrive is the gear uh, in our life rhythm of crisis. It's the gear we put it in uh, to get things done and to meet deadlines. Drive should be when we're not in crisis, but there's, a, there's an adrenaline payoff to being in overdrive. So some people continuously live their lives in overdrive. Low gear is a gear you slow down. In four-wheel driving, low gear is a gear where you have more torque and power. You're going slower, but there's more power and potency to it. Low gear is the gear we do relationships in. See, if you're in overdrive and you're speeding through your relationships, you're just skimming. You, you ask someone how they're doing and then you don't even wait to listen to what they're saying. you, you got to slow it down and be with your family members and be with your friends and find out not just what's on the surface, but go deep relationally. Put it in low gear. But then there's the most important gear of all. It's putting it in park. This is the gear you put it in to spend time with God in His presence. My wife and I will be leaving one appointment and going to the next appointment and I am putting it in drive and she hasn't even typed in the coordinates yet. And she's like, where are you going? You have no idea. Put it in park. Let's go find the answer before we just head in the wrong direction. When's the last time God reminded you to come into the holy of holies of his presence, clothed it in the blood of Christ, to just be with him, think about what he's like, and allow that to change what you're like. How do we do this? I read a book by a guy named Daniel Henderson, and Daniel Henderson's given me the best perspective on uh, prayer of any author outside of the scriptures to date. How do we do this? Uh, can we see how we do this? I think it's near the end. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Psalm 32 in a second. Uh, how do we do this? There's a difference when praying between seeking God's face and seeking God's hand. Most of us, when we pray, our default tendency is to go to prayer and ask God for things. And we're seeking his hand. But um, God is not our sugar daddy. Are you hearing me? That's not his purpose. Imagine having a relationship with someone that the only time you talk to them is when you want to get something from them. Here's a reorientation. When you pray, don't focus on seeking his hand. Focus on seeking his face, his character, his nature, his personhood. Instead of being request-based in your prayer, I'm suggesting you make your prayer worship-based. The foundation of how you pray isn't requests. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting where somebody says, are there any prayer requests? And there's a pretty long moment of silence as people try and think of something they might want people to pray for. Let me tell you something. If you got to think of the request... If you got to like come up with something to pray for, 
Why in the world would I pray for something you're not even bothering to pray about? You follow me? And so much prayer time is dominated by requests, and many of those requests are so inconsequential that whether they're answered or not, it won't alter anyone's eternity. And I'm suggesting you set request base aside and you allow the base of your prayer to be worship. That when you pray, you take time adoring God for His character and His nature. You reflect on who He is. When you come to this mighty, magnificent being and your eyes are on His face, the problems that have overwhelmed you will seem so small compared to Him. But if... You're comparing what you're going through to yourself and your own resources. You will be overwhelmed and discouraged. Worship lifts your eyes from the earthly and from the temporal to the unearthly, to the heavenly, to the eternal. Allow your prayers to be worship-based as their foundation. Now, what do we worship Him about? Second step to prayer. Scripture-fed. Worship that is worship-based. And I think if you push down, maybe those will show up. Or maybe I should do it. Worship-based, Scripture-fed. How do I know what to say? How do I know what he's like? When I come to the Bible, I ask myself a real specific question. What is this text telling me to be true about God? So anytime you engage the Scriptures, you allow the Scripture to feed your worship and adoration. You might have ideas about what God is like. You might have some assumptions about what God is like that doesn't make you want to worship Him very much. But when you see who He's revealed Himself to be, you cannot help but worship Him. Allow Scripture to feed, to be the source of information that dictates how you worship Him. Jesus said this to His disciples, when you pray, pray therefore in this way, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Jesus began with worship, an orientation of God's proper place, an expression of the relationship between God and the Son. A declaration of how supreme His name is above every name. Jesus began with worship. I think my kids growing up, as they grew up, were the best reflection for me of the quality of my prayers. And I knew I was off when I would listen to them pray because here's the kind of stuff they would pray for. They would pray for safety. They would pray for comfort. um, They would pray for ease. When the religious elite brought Peter and John before them and threatened, beat them, threatened them not to speak in the name anymore, and they went back to the prayer meeting. Did they pray for comfort and for ease? They prayed for boldness. When we allow worship to be the base of our prayer and Scripture to feed how we pray, we stop praying about finding our lost keys and having travel mercies yet again, and start praying in light of His Spirit. Last thought. Prayers 
that are worship-based, Scripture-fed, and in keeping with our 40 days, Spirit-led. When you seek His face, hey, if you seek His hand, you're going to miss His face. But if you seek His face, you always get His hand. He's a generous God. He's your, he's your ultimate supplier. He's the resource you need for your face to glow. He's the resource you need to treat your coworker with respect. He's the resource you need to make it through joblessness. He's the resource you need to turn your marriage around. He's the resource you need to reach your friends at school or through Zoom. <laughs> He's the resource you need. And His Spirit will lead you in the way you ought to pray. Uh, can we see Psalm 32? Thanks for your patience with me in the booth. The thing's a little out of order. David wrote this psalm. It's first a psalm in, verse, uh, in, in Psalm 32. It's first a psalm about how we deal with our sin. Sam talked to you last week about repentance. The week before, the focus was holiness. Psalm 32 shows how important it is to deal thoroughly with our sin. But Psalm 32 shifts. Uh, Psalm 32 shifts um, when uh, verses 1 to 7, the orientation is David talking to God. But verses 8 and following, the orientation is God talking to David. And here's what he says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, navigation. I will advise you with my eye upon you. Growing up, um, my dad uh, uh, would want to work on the car. We grew up in a suburb of Detroit in Michigan, and it was cold in the winter, and we had a garage uh, warmed by a wood-burning stove, but it was dark in there, and as he's changing the oil, I'm not very mechanically inclined. I'm a little kid. He wants to teach me skills I have zero interest in, and so when it's time to change the oil, I had to go out there and help him, and because I really have nothing to contribute, my one job was to hold the flashlight, and so my job, as my dad would, uh, you know, loosen the oil filter was to shine the light so he could see what he was doing, but we had dirt bikes in the garage. There was a dartboard. There was like things I was interested in. My bike was in there. And so what would I do? I would look at the dirt bikes and I would look at the dartboard. And where's the light? Not where my father's looking. He was not a very godly man, not a very patient man. And I quickly learned I needed to dodge wrenches if I wasn't going to pay attention. Until I got the right path. Here was the right path. I would look at my father's face and I would follow his eye line to know where to shine my light. The father says he will instruct you in the way you should go with his eye upon you. Out of intimacy with God, the Spirit leads you in the path He would have you go. And just as the people in Jeremiah's day, day said, we will not walk it, we will not, God anticipating our own inclination as human beings continues Psalm 32 with this. 
Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Growing up in the 70s, there was a TV show called Grizzly Adams. Only those with the gray like I have know what I'm talking about. It wasn't on Nick at Night, so Sam, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But Grizzly Adams was this show about a mountain man on the run. His best friend was a grizzly bear. Um, it was good, fun, wholesome uh, television, probably a snooze fest today. But there was an old mountain man that would come visit Grizzly Adams and he had a donkey he would drag. And does anybody um, my age or older in the audience remember that donkey's name? Number seven. And this old mountain man would drag number seven and you'd hear the donkey resisting two mountains away. God says, don't be like the mule who has to have a bit and bridle to be led. Otherwise, it will not come near. The best predictor of your destination in 2021 is your direction in 2020. Take a look at the direction you were in. Were you seeking his face? Were you moving as the Spirit prompted you in the direction He prompted you? Just 15 minutes before the service started, I listened to your pastor talk about how the Spirit led him and Addie in the journey God had for them that you are beneficiaries of. He was being Spirit-led. Some of the answers he was getting didn't make sense. The empirical evidence wasn't lining up, but there was a spiritual calculator calculating his trajectory. And in surrender and in obedience, your pastor followed the Spirit's leading. There are places God would have you penetrate in 2021, conversations he wants you to have that will lift the veil of lost people where you have influence, where you live, where you work, where you play. You are to be an ambassador. You're to be a representative. You're to be a light. And you want to be in that environment with a glowing face, glowing with the presence of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life. You don't want to enter those relationships through your basement behavior, turning people from the church and from Christ through your intolerance or your politics or your personal agenda. You want to say what the Spirit leads you to say and you want to win people to the light of the glory that is in the face of Christ, your Savior. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for you that you might live to his cause, that you might be his ambassador. And there is no more thrilling, rewarding, meaningful experience a human being could ever have than walking the good path God's invited you to walk. Let your prayers be based in worship. Let Scripture feed what you say in worship to God. And let the Spirit lead what you pray for and where you go and what you do. And guess who will get all the glory? Jesus Christ. Because veils are only removed in Him. Let's pray. I'm going to turn the service over to Sam, but I want to pronounce a blessing. This prayer will be a blessing. Something Aaron did to the ancient people of Israel. It's found in Numbers chapter 6 if you want to look at it later. But it's a blessing I want to give to you as Community Bible Church.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Pastor Sam.